Hollywood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. This is a study of the book of 1 Corinthians, and it talks about the unity that we have in Christ uh, with Him, with each other, and how He wants to involve us in His plans. And as we've walked through this series, we've seen each week how Legos are somewhat of a fit analogy for the church. Because Legos, when you think about it, when they are disconnected from one another, are just random pieces of plastic. But when they come together under some kind of direction and design, they can build something beautiful. And um, that's really a lot like the church. See, all of us as individuals are different sizes, shapes, colors. We're very different people. But under the direction of our loving God, we can be put together in such a way that we can be something beautiful, His church, His body. His bride, and we can be used by God in His plans, and that's exactly how we've been designed. And so, uh, we've been walking through this book of 1 Corinthians, which illustrates this point for us over several weeks, and this week we're going to continue that by looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 27. Now, you'll notice that what's on the screen behind me is a picture of Lego Cam Newton, just proof that you can build anything out of Legos. Um, But... The reason why that, that picture is up there is, is really for a couple of reasons. First of all, it's off the cover of a Sports Illustrated, uh, kids edition of Sports Illustrated. And in these verses in chapter 9, Paul uses sports analogies. And so I was thinking that way, and this kind of made some sense. But the second reason why is because in those verses in chapter 9, uh, the Apostle Paul is writing about purpose and mission in life. And, you know, there are many sources from which you and I look to find purpose and mission in our lives. We, we want to make sense of our existence, and we want to be involved in big things, and we want our lives to matter. And so we're always looking for what that looks like and how it unpacks for us. Um, and strangely, Sports Illustrated provides some answers for us about how our lives can have purpose and mission and meaning. And uh, I found an article, it's old now, it's about 13 years old, but it was written by Rick Riley back when Rick Riley wrote for Sports Illustrated, and he's talking about uh, mission and purpose specifically for men. So if you're a guy, let me see your hand, Um, this is written to us. Rick Riley has found mission and purpose for men, and this is what he says. He says, I've finally found the one thing that will bring me peace, happiness, and deep satisfaction. Rock hard abs. I know this because all men's fitness magazines scream it at me from their covers. They beg me to be gutless. The cover of men's workout says this, get ripped, killer abs. Muscle and fitness says, free giant guide to rock hard abs. Muscle Mag International even put out an entire issue on abs. That's 210 pages, all abs, all the time. There's always a 22-year-old Swede on the cover with abs that you could cut slate on. To get abs like that, these guys must do crunches 16 hours a day, including at stoplights. They must do sets of crunches between their sets of crunches. Many will expire in the butterfly crunch position. 
the magazine, all of them, say that I could have these same abs, which is surprising to me because I haven't even seen my abs since my first grade minnows swimming class. Actually, none of my friends have twisted steel rock-hard abs either, except for the lifeguard at our pool, and I know he's sucking his gut in because he hasn't exhaled for 12 minutes. We deserve this, of course, we men. For years, we've objectified women. Now women are judging us by our abs. We catch them snickering as we come out of the tub. We pull up our t-shirts to wipe our faces, and we catch them sneering. Sure, we put our shirts down and go right back to our Wendy's Big Bacon Classic, but inside, we're hurting. So what you have now are a lot of men walking around, constantly inhaling, feeling insecure about not having cobblestone, washboard, twisted steel, rock-hard abs. Worse, because we don't, we're quite sure that women will soon beat the fool out of us. We know this from watching 7 a.m. women's aerobic shows. First, women did simple, gentle aerobics. Then they did aerobics on a ridiculous 49.95 footstool, which they called step aerobics. Then they put on headphones and started hollering at their steps. Then they started stepping on each other's steps. Then they started getting on the top of their steps and kicking and punching at some unseen enemy, us, chanting scary things like kick, punch, reload. Soon there'll be roving bands of leotard-wearing women barging through doors and throwing steps at men who have to take cover behind their Cheetos. Gentlemen, it's gut check time. Um, I read you that story. I don't know why. Uh, I read you that because there are lots of things that shout out to us, this is your mission, this is your purpose. You'll find happiness on the other side of twisted steel, washboard, rock-hard abs. That's one message we receive. You'll find happiness on the other side. You'll find purpose on the other side of success in your workplace. You'll find happiness on the other side of the family picture that looks exactly like you want it to with the right number of kids, the right ages, the right spread, the right outfits. There are so many different things that scream out to us, if you had this, then you'll have purpose and mission in life. But out of all of that noise, out of all of those messages, what is really the truth? Where can you and I find mission and purpose in life? This morning, the Apostle Paul is going to answer that question for himself. And inspired by the God of the universe, Paul shares these thoughts in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 27 holds it up as an example for you and I so that we might see this is what purpose and mission can look like, not just in Paul's life 2,000 years ago, but in my life or your life today. Um, and so we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 27, and hopefully as we look at that, uh, we'll begin to understand and unpack a little more about what God's purpose and mission look like for us. So if you've got a Bible, open up. To 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19 is where we'll begin. Um, we're going to see a few things today as we look at these verses. First thing we're going to see is this. Together, we focus our freedom on freeing others. Together, we focus our freedom to, to free others. This is 
This is where purpose and mission comes from and, and, and happens in the spiritual life. Well, where do we see that in these verses? We see it from verse 19 through verse 23. And, and I'm going to dive in and, and look at all of those verses, but I want to begin where he ends in that section. I want to begin with the last half of verse 22 and verse 23 because in, those, in that section, in those two sentences, I think we get the core of what Paul is trying to say. The last half of verse 22 and 23 say this. He says, I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessing. See, what what Paul is saying is there is a, a guiding principle in his life. There is something that is at the center of the wheel that allows him to organize and understand all of the rest of what he does. There is something at the center, and that something that is at the center is the person of Jesus Christ and what Christ has done for him through the cross in what we know of as the gospel. The gospel message is that Jesus came down to this earth and he died on the cross taking all of the penalty for your sins and for mine. He took that penalty on his back so that we might be forgiven and so that we might have a relationship with God. Paul says that that gospel message is at the center of his life. It's always on his mind. It's how he organizes his day. And because he has experienced such blessing through the gospel, through what God has done for him in Christ, he just can't help but want to share that with others. Paul says, I do all of this so that I might share in the blessings of the gospel with others. You know, if, if, if you're here today and you have trusted in Christ, then that, that makes some sense to you, right? You love Jesus. He's done an amazing thing for you, and you want to share that message with others. If you're here and, and you're just kind of checking things out, you're, you're not somebody that has yet placed your, your faith in Christ, but you have friends that have, the reason why they're talking to you about Jesus is because he's done something awesome in their life, and they want to share that blessing with you. That was the organizing principle for Paul. And Paul says that because that's at the center of the wheel, because that's what he's about, that's what he wants to accomplish, that's where he finds his mission and purpose in life, he says he'll you know, do all things. He will become all things to all people so that he might save some. Now, when you see that, and it's a famous phrase, if you've read the book of 1 Corinthians, it's an often quoted phrase, all things to all people. It's a phrase that is many times misunderstood. See, sometimes when you see Paul saying, I'll be all things to all people, we think that he must have shifted into some kind of a relativistic mode where he will water down his message or he will water down his morality in order to be more palatable to those around him. In other words, I'll cut some corners with my, my morals, things that, that God says is wrong. I'll go ahead and engage in those activities so that I look more attractive to those who don't know Christ. Some people think that's what Paul means by this. Other people look at this and say, no, no, well, what Paul's doing is he's, he's watering down his message. He's somehow shifting and changing his message into a, a form that maybe is more acceptable within the culture in which he's ministering. And, and neither of those things are true. Paul didn't downshift his morality. Paul didn't downshift his message. But what Paul did do was he took 
amoral things, things that God doesn't speak about. And instead of making those things primary issues, Paul minimizes them in order that the issue that he could share with others was the person of Christ. Because what he was offering was not just some lifestyle, what he was offering was the person of Jesus, and he wanted that to be clear. So he would minimize these other things in order to maximize Christ. Now, what does that look like for Paul? This is where going back up to verse 19 makes sense, because when we understand that's where he's headed, verse 19, he unpacks what it looked like for him to minimize these other things in order to maximize Jesus. Verse 19 says, for though I am free from all, Paul says, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Now, what is that, what is, it, what is he saying there? Though I'm free from all. Well, where was Paul a citizen of? Paul was a citizen of Rome. Being a citizen of Rome carried with it all kinds of rights. Not everybody who lived in the Roman Empire was a citizen of Rome, but Paul was. That means that, that he could demand certain things, certain kinds of, of benefits, just as we can as citizens of this country. Paul could do that uh, in his day. Uh, Paul also was somebody of, of great prominence. He was a leader. He could have demanded that people do things his way. Paul was also somebody who was a Christian. He was free from some of the ceremonial parts of the Jewish law. He could have demanded that everybody do things his way. And yet what Paul says is, though I'm free from all of these other shackles, I choose to minimize my own personal rights, my own personal desires, in order to maximize my opportunity to share Christ with others. What did that look like for Paul? Well, it looked differently with different groups of people. See, in the, in the ancient world with it, where they were living, uh, in the city of Corinth, there were kind of these two categories of people to somebody of Paul's background. There were Jewish people, and there were everybody else. There were Jewish people, and then the, everybody else they called Gentiles. Those were the two groups of people that, that made up the city of Corinth from a religious perspective to somebody like Paul. And so, as Paul would go into the city, he would, he would do things a little differently, depending on if he was ministering to Jews or if he was ministering to everybody else. And he unpacks that for us, beginning in verse 20. He says, to the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. What, what Paul was saying was when he would minister to Jewish people, he would adopt certain things about their style and culture and custom in order that he would have the maximum opportunity to talk to them about Christ. Now, he would not do things that were wrong, immoral, but in certain parts of the culture of being Jewish, Paul would embrace some of those things when he was ministering to Jewish people so that there would not be an offense taken. Maybe one of the best examples of this is over in the book of Acts, chapter 16, verses 1 to 3. Um, there's an example. The, the book of Acts is, is full of these kinds of examples. But in Acts, chapter 16, verse 3, uh, Paul is taking under his wing a young man named Timothy, uh, the guy that got the letters, First and Second Timothy, the same guy. And Timothy came from a mixed background. He had a, a Jewish mom and a Greek dad, a Jewish mom and a Gentile dad. And because of that, he hadn't gone through all of the, the normal ritual things that a good Jewish boy would have done, including being circumcised. 
And so as Paul is taking Timothy under his wing and they're going out to minister in a context where there were going to be many Jewish people, Paul chooses to go ahead and circumcise Timothy so that circumcision would not be the issue when they go out to minister. In other words, that there wouldn't be an offense taken. Like, why are you bringing with you this uncircumcised boy? who really was a young man at this point. Uh, 1 to 3 of chapter 16 of Acts say this, Paul also came to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, this is a good example because it shows how Paul and Timothy and people that ministered with him minimized their own rights in order to maximize an opportunity to share Christ with others. I mean, if you wonder how far they went for this, just think about the world from Timothy's point of view for a moment, okay? Timothy is a young man. He's not a small child. He does not have to be circumcised um, because it is not a part of the Christian law at that point. Um, It gains him no standing with God. And yet Paul says, hey, Timothy, let's go ahead and take care of that little circumcision thing before we go on this mission trip. Um, For Timothy to say yes to that implies that Timothy was willing to minimize his personal desires, including his personal comfort, in order to maximize his opportunity to reach out. Paul, this was a guiding principle in his desire to share Christ with others. Um, And it was illustrated in the way that he ministered among the Jews. But he didn't just do this among the Jews. Paul also did this among the Gentiles. Look at what it says uh, on down in verse 21. He says, to those outside the law, this is Jewish talk for Gentile people, those outside the Old Testament law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. But what Paul's saying there is he's saying, I I didn't make immoral decisions as I was out to to minister to those outside the law. I didn't, you know, become an adulterer to reach an adulterer. I didn't become a thief to reach a thief. But he says, I minister to those outside the laws. I minister to Gentiles. I'm just not going to maximize my Jewishness. I'm going to relate to them as they are. I'm going to eat what they eat. A good example of this is, you know, Paul would not show up and, and offer, you know, pork chops to Jews, but, but he might eat a pork chop with Gentiles. Why? Because it wasn't about the pork chop. And if he ate a pork top chop among the Jews, they would say, why are you eating that unclean meat? If he refused the pork chop among the Gentiles, they would say, why do you not eat like we eat? Are you trying to make me something that I'm not? Paul says, I'm going to minimize these amoral issues in order that Christ might be central he goes on in verse 22. He says, to the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. The weak in context it seems are, are those that had a weak conscience on things that were kind of gray areas in life. In other words, there were people that were always getting offended by different things. And, and Paul says, you know, to those who were easily offended, I, I minded my P's and Q's. Why? Because I didn't want my offense to be what it's all about. I wanted Jesus to be central. With all that said, we look at, again, at the end of 22 and 23. Paul says that he does all of these things. He, he minimizes his own rights to maximize the opportunity to reach others 
And he says, I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Now, that was Paul's guiding principle. That was his mission. That was his his purpose. That's how he ordered his life. That's how he made his decisions. Um, had to do with his desire to share the love of Christ with, with those around him. Now, here's the transition. What is it for you? What is it that, that gets you up in the morning? What is it that you can't go to sleep at night because you're thinking about this? What, what, what is it that is your, your motivating principle in life? You know, when I say that and I just went through Paul, um, no one wants to make eye contact with me right now, including me. If I could look away from myself, I would do so. Um, because I'm acquainted with the fact that in my life, that's not always the guiding principle in my life. You know, what, what is it that, that, that drives me a lot of the time? Well, well sometimes it's entertainment things. I just want to have fun. I, I want to know who, who's winning the British Open right now. Um, this is your cue to check your phone if you want to, guys. No, they, sometimes it's, it's entertainment type things like that. It's just Sometimes it's, it's approval of others. The thing that, that drives me is, am I doing okay? Do they like me? You know, right now, if I think about that too hard, I'll crawl into a hole or go back in the drum cage or something to hide because, you know, it's, it's just it's, it's something that, that drives you a lot of the time, right? And so, I, I don't know what it is for you, but there are things that are driving principles in your life too, and when you hear Paul's, you think, mine's not as good as his. And if we... If we just kind of paused right there for a moment, all of us would go, wow, that's just a really neat guy. Maybe we should support him, and I'll go back and live my own life. But, but here's, the, here's the critical piece, and here's the key. How is it that Paul got this way? How is it that this became the, the core principle in Paul's life? I'll, I'll tell you how. The Spirit of God came to reside within Paul. And when the Spirit of God came to reside within Paul, it began to reshape and replace his desires. So that at the deep core of who Paul was, he now wanted something different than just to make a name for himself, or just to be a great orator, or just to be somebody who writes a bunch of books, or just to be a religious leader, or whatever. At the core of who Paul is, something shifted, something changed. And what that changed was that the Spirit of God came within him and it reshaped his desires and focused them on this purpose of sharing Christ with others as a purpose and a core of his life. And here's where it gets really good for you and me. If you trust in Christ as your Savior, then the Spirit of God comes to dwell inside of our lives as well. And the same Spirit of God that shaped and changed the Apostle Paul's heart comes inside of your life and my life and changes our desires too. You're like, well, I've been a believer for a long time. I, I've known Christ for years, and yet I still don't want to look at you when you read that. What's, what's the issue? And the reality is it's because we have these different sets of desires in life. There's, there's what we want at the core that, that resonates with the Spirit of God deep within us, and then there's everything else that, that attracts us for just a, a short time. I'll, I'll give you a, an example. It has to do with my dog. Now, my dog's been dead for like 18 months now. Um, that's why you guys haven't heard much about him. Um, but uh, this is great. Sorry. It, it, 
Just take the mood down for a moment. Um, it's okay, we're past it. But it, this, it was a great dog, it was a little beagle dog. And this was a picture like six years ago when, when our dog was kind of getting bumped out of the pecking order in our family with my, my son and, and, and all this stuff. But, but our, my, my dog would, and some of you have heard me share this before, um, my dog liked to, to hang out inside. It was warm in the winter, it was cool in the summer, and he liked to hang out on soft things. Anything soft we would let him sit on that would be where my dog would want to be. But we didn't always want our dog inside the house on soft things. So we needed to get the dog from inside to outside. And we figured out that the way to do that was to take a milk bone and wave it in front of his face. If you'd wave that milk bone in front of the face of my dog and then throw it out the back door, he would do anything. I'm convinced you could take a milk bone, wave it in front of his face, he'd square dance. He would do anything because he would follow that bone anywhere. And what would happen is you'd wave it, you'd toss it, he would go out, you would close the door, and then on the other side of the glass, you would see a very depressed little animal because he had given up what he really wanted for something that satisfied him only that much. And you know what? This is the dilemma that we live in in life. There are a lot of little milk bones that wave in front of us. We chase, we eat, and then two seconds later we go, well, that wasn't what I thought it was. But if we know Christ, then then deep inside of us we have had our desires reshaped. We have become a new creation in Him. And at the core of us, the Spirit of God that that compelled Paul to share Christ with others is the same Spirit of God that resides within you and gives you desires and fantasies to see those around you trust Christ as you have, to to share in the blessings of the gospel with you. And so because of that, it's that deep desire that we tap into as followers of Christ and allow it to be the center hub that reshapes our life and allows us to make different decisions about what we do so that we might share the gospel with others. See, Paul was willing to take all of his personal desires and minimize them so that he would be able to offer that which was so treasured in the gospel with others. So what do we do? What does it look like for us? What does it look like for us to minimize our agenda, to maximize our opportunity to share Christ with others? Well, I think one thing that it it means, it means that it, it changes and marks the way that we use our time. You know, if if you are a believer, you've been around the church for any any time, it's possible that all of your life or, or much of your life or much of your significant relationships in life are just attached to other believers in Christ. And you know what, that's, that's a source of strength and encouragement. There's, there's inertia, there's momentum to that. But you know what, God has not created us just to live with those. We, we need a, a healthy diet of fellowship. But if all of our time is spent just with those who know Christ, then we can be, get out of balance because a purpose that God has for us in this world, a guiding principle is that we would share the blessings of this gospel with others who don't currently know him. And that might mean us minimizing what we think we want to do in order to maximize the opportunity to share Christ with others. I mean, it might mean things like this. It might mean, you know, what I'd I'd like to do is just what I want to do with my own time, but you know what, I think I'm going to 
step into that role in the PTA at our school this year, um, not just because there are things that need to be done in the school. There are things that need to be done in the school, and that's a great service, but, but so that I can build friendships with the other parents with the hope that they might share in the blessings of the gospel with me. You know, I, I might pr- play on that sports team instead of the one that, that I'm currently playing on because it might provide an opportunity for me to, to build some relationships with others. Not just what would be most enjoyable for me, but, but what would be an opportunity for me to minimize my own interest, to maximize my opportunity to, to build a relationship and to share Christ with others. It might mean taking a step into an area that feels somewhat uncomfortable for you right now, getting involved with our high school ministry or middle school ministry. Um, they're having a promo downstairs, shameless plug, right after this service if you're interested in getting involved in those ministries. But taking a step away from what is normal and natural for you at that point so that you can maximize an opportunity to share Christ with a kid. Um, it might mean taking a step away from your normal schedule and clearing some time so that you can serve as a mentor for one of these kids at Bridges or, or in an elementary school in town or something else. Why do we do those things? We do those things not just to do good. It's great to do good, but we do those things as believers because there's a hope in sharing the blessings of the gospel with others. It's at the core of who we are, and we have this privilege of sharing that. But in order to do that, it involves us, many times, minimizing our own agenda in order to maximize the opportunity to share with others. Paul was willing to do that with Jews, with Gentiles, with whoever, because he desired to see them come into relationship with him. And you know what? The reality is is true for us as well. So I'm going to ask you guys to just bow your heads, and uh, as you bow your head, I'm going to have the worship team come on up, because they're going to close us with a song here in just a moment. But as you, as you bow your head, I, here's what I want you to do. I want you just to, just to kind of take an inventory of your life. I want you to, to look at uh, your week, your day, your fall. We're making that shift right now. We're headed towards the fall. I want you to, to think about your life in different ways. And, and as you do so, I want you to think about uh, all of the people that are in your life. Maybe they're not people even who you currently know, but they're something that you sense God leading you towards. You can imagine who those people might be that you might interact with if you joined that organization, if you volunteered with this ministry, if you began to meet those who live in your neighborhood. And as you think about those, those folks and, and process it, I want you to, to, to also then continue and think about how is, what would it look like for you to minimize your personal agenda, the things that you like the most, in order to maximize an opportunity to share Christ with them. I don't know exactly what that looks like for you, but I believe the Spirit of God does. I'm going to trust Him to lead you in that. And as you think about that world and that life, I I want to just read for you where Paul goes at 
the end of this section. Paul, thinking about that and knowing that it's going to take a lot to initiate in those relationships and to step outside of ourselves, to minimize and to maximize, Paul talks about discipline against the backdrop of an athletic contest. He says from 24 to 27, concluding the passage, he says, Do you not run? Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we as believers in Christ seek an imperishable wreath. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Taking a step, reaching out, involves discipline. Just as winning an athletic contest involves discipline, there's a discipline and a purpose and an intentionality that goes with living a life consistent with the purpose that God has placed inside of us. But Father God, I pray that we would be people who would not shy away from this, but we would be people who would lean into who you are and what you have done for us. And Father, that you would create from the inside out, not from the stage out, but from the inside out, from your spirit out, that you would reshape our desires and help us focus on what we really want in Christ, and that is to see those around us share in the blessings of the gospel. Father, may we minimize ourselves to maximize you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The beautiful thing about reaching out to others is that we have the chance to offer them not just a bill of goods, we have the chance to offer them a relationship with God and an experience of his unending love. So this morning as we end, we're going to stand and sing together of God's unending love.